0: Hello and welcome to the inter football discussion. My name is Simon and on this show I discuss the current football news stories and give my opinions on them. On today's episode I look back on the weekend's fixtures going through every Premier League game. I also go through the results from the Championship, Ligue 1, Bundesliga, La Liga and Serie A. These episodes are recorded live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash and you may hear me reading out comments and answering questions from the live chat there. To get your questions answered and have an input, make sure to follow the channel on Twitch to receive a notification when I go live. The other way to keep up to date with the show is to follow me on Twitter at into underscore row underscore zed. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's Inter football discussion where we look back on the Premier League weekend as well as looking at the championship. We look at Ligue 1, the Bundesliga, La Liga and the first weekend since Syria has kicked off also. If we're starting with the Premier League there's only one place to start and that was the first game at the weekend which was the half 12 game on Saturday. And it was Liverpool and Burnley. Uh, Liverpool looked pretty convincing throughout the the whole game in a in a two 0 win. But I don't think that's what stole the stole the the headlines. If I'm being honest with you, the the most important thing in the in the entire match was the fact that Burnley managed to field a Premier League team that were numbered one through to eleven. There's been a lot of discussion amongst people saying that the number four and the number six were in the wrong place. But regardless of the positions they were in. It was a 1-11 that were on the pitch and I think I heard a stat that the last time that happened was Charlton in, I think they said 1998, which is incredible when you think about it, but it was great to see. It was great to see, but the apart from that, there was actually a game of football that happened and that's the, the, the main thing that I'm going to discuss, but I, I couldn't in good conscience go into the game without mentioning the fact that Burnley did play with 1-11 on the back of their shirts for the match. Um, and I think that the, the, the first thing that I noticed with the match was looking at it was the fact that Jota got the, the, the nod ahead of Firmino again I know Firmino was at the, the Copa America and everything that goes with it but, but Jota got the start in ahead of him and same as he did last week against Norwich got himself a goal and I think regardless of fitness for Firmino and regardless of how it goes for him I suppose long term if Jota keeps scoring every week he won't be dropped he can't be dropped um, bottom line is if you're getting goals you're going to stay in the team and that's the most important thing for a striker and I know that a lot of people will say what well, Firmino brings to the team and I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of Firmino myself because I don't think that Salah and Mane get the goals that they get if they have for example an Aguero in that team, um, a Lewandowski in that team, somebody who will get the goals. I don't think Salah and Mane potentially get as many as they do. Um, so the number of goals scored across the front three probably remains similar but at the same time you would want your striker getting more goals I think that Jota provides that and I think that he'd probably get, he'll probably get he probably get you more ugly goals that Firmino potentially wouldn't get you Um, just getting like if you look at his goal last weekend where the, the ball bounced and he managed to to, to to get the finish those type of finishes are they Firmino goals his tends to be more silky more smooth and I think that Jota gives you more maybe more that killer instinct that you want from a striker so you know I think that that's that's the first thing I think that with him starting back-to-back games scoring in back-to-back games it's going to be hard for Firmino to push him out of the team um, long-term and I think that if Jada can keep it up he's going to be there for Basically, the, the rest of the season, uh, potentially longer, depending if he can keep up the form or not. And on Thursday, when I was when I was going through this game as well, I said that last last weekend against Brighton, Burnley's um, goals that they conceded, they were all down the, the left hand side or their left hand side, uh, Brighton's right. Um, and against Liverpool, it was one from each side. Um, the first one came, first goal obviously came from a great cross uh, from Simicass, um that Jota headed in. And I think if you're the Burnley centre halves, you're looking at the Jota and you're going. He's not going to beat us in the air for anything but his movement was fantastic. Um t- to get ahead of Ben Mee there at the near post a well guided header in but still the Burnley center halves need to be doing better there. You know as good as Jota's movement was if you're if you're if you're aware if you're switched on defensively you're getting to that ball first. Um they obviously weren't they switched off they allowed him that space to make that move which is what any good striker should do making that move ahead of the defender and um, coming in on their blind side but you know, if you if you're looking at Bernie, that should be bread and butter to them. That's what that, that type of defending is what they, they should be lapping up all game and they didn't. Um the second goal, however, I think was just a fantastic goal. I have every part of it from, from the build up all the way to the finish, I thought was a fantastic goal. Um Van Dyke getting the ball at centre back, just looking up, and it was the most nonchalant cross field ball that he ever played, switching the play out to I think it was um Harvey Elliott. And keg, thank you very much for the raid. Welcome in, everybody who has come from your stream. I hope you've, you're all doing really well this evening. I am just going through... Just after getting started on the Premier League games, so we're currently uh, still discussing um, Burnley and Liverpool. And Clayton plays games. Thank you very much for the follow. Also, I was just discussing the the nonchalant crossfield ball from from Van Dyke in the Liverpool match, all the way over to Harvey Elliott, took it down, played the ball into Alexander Arnold, and I must say, I thought the the assisted true ball that he played was lovely and a fine finish from from Sadio Mane. Um, I thought it was a a, a really good goal for for Liverpool to get, and I think that if just I suppose looking at things in the game as a whole I thought Trent Alexander-Arnold was, was absolutely fantastic um, He almost I know that Henderson was probably the the metronome in the game in terms of dictating the game but Alexander-Arnold wasn't far off um, I thought he was, when he played kind of in the inside channel he was doing brilliantly when he was out wide he was taking on his man um, I saw some of the stats afterwards where I think he had 100 touches in the match Um which is just incredible. Um, and a hell of a lot of successful passes to back that up as well. So I thought he was he was absolutely fantastic. But I must say that the most, despite, if I was to say the best thing about the game, I mentioned the Burnley 1-11, having the, the jerseys at 1-11. I loved every part of that. That go- second goal from Liverpool, I thought was a fantastic goal. But the best part of the entire match for me was Ashley Barnes scoring a goal when he was about two or three yards offside, tapping it in, running over to the cop end, Giving it his full celebration, <laughs> then turning around to the linesman who had flagged him for offside, and him absolutely giving out socks and throwing the arm in the air when it was so blatant that he was offside. Um, I just thought there was it, it, it was fantastic. It was a great watch. Um, that, that that celebration alone to such a blatantly offside goal was was absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, before the game, I predicted a Liverpool win. It dominated the game they could have scored more than the two if we've been truthful, and it was a, an overall easy win for them. Uh, just looking at the chat there. Jambo, how are you getting on, buddy? Thank you very much for popping in. Um, And just looking at Keg. So if Arsenal cock up against West Brom on Wednesday, I, I wouldn't put it past us. It depends what, like... I would never say this, but for a second-round Carabao Cup game, which we haven't been in for 20 years or whatever, in the second round, um, I think... We're also going to go with a full strength team. Um, well, we don't have a full strength team, but I think he's going to go with close on the lineup that played against um, against Chelsea on Sunday. Ramsdale probably come in on goal. Tavares at left back. Balogun up front. Don't think there'll be many other changes than that. I think he has to go for just to get a win, Um just for for confidence and for the team as a whole. Uh, El might come in maybe for for Lekonga and give a couple of those youngsters a break, but. He's going to go for it, and West Brom are flying it at the moment. So they have everything that we don't have right now, and that's confidence. So um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be dead dead set on that being an Arsenal win midweek at all. And um, the next game then on Saturday to discuss was Aston Villa Newcastle. Um, it was that was the the three o'clock game on the Saturday, and I mentioned last Thursday I was saying that Matt Target had a had a torrid time against Watford, um, and I was wondering are they going to play Ashley Young on the wide left to give him that defensive stability? Um, I know that he played wide left. Against against Watford, but to tell him we want you to we want you to sit on top of Matt Target to help deal with Saint Maximin, um so that you're always going to have a two v one, um anytime the Newcastle are coming forward, um and they just said no we're not even going to do that we don't trust Matt Target and they put Ashley Young at left back instead, um another thing that I mentioned last week was I said uh Jacob Ramsey I said this this lad looks a, a bit of a talent um I, I'd expect to see him get a get a bit more game time as the season goes by and he actually got a start in the match. Um I no, I didn't see the, the full game. I watched um I watched match of the day afterwards to to get the highlights on this one. Um and it, it seemed that Newcastle started well. Um, they did it against West Ham last week, started the game well, they got a goal um against West Ham, gave themselves a you know a bit of a a bit of inspiration on the back of it, but couldn't do it for ninety minutes, and as soon as West Ham went ahead in the match, the, the head seemed to drop and I think that Mings had a had a miss early on that was that was pretty poor, but they didn't get the goal this time, so they tended. I suppose they kind of fizzled out a bit when they didn't get the goal after their dominance. They, they tended to drop off a bit, and I think that the, the goal then that Villa got, you know, probably, you know, just before halftime is going to sink all their hearts as well. Um, you look at the the long throw that was that came in from Maddie Cash, the the flick on from Ings, but the finish from Ings was was absolutely fantastic. You know, the overhead volley and just outstanding just just an absolute pleasure to watch and i was watching as i said match of the day for the highlights on this and i couldn't believe that danny murphy was saying that i don't see why they have a, a set pieces coach you know back in my day you know that's what the the manager did and everything obviously football now is down to such fine details that every area has different parts there's so much more that analysis that's involved the game has very much evolved in that way and when you look at brentford last week with the goal that they got from the long throw You look at some set pieces that are worked with the maneuvers that they use from corners, from free kicks. And then you look at the the long throw here from from Villa. Having a set piece coach 100% pays off. It's not chance that these things happen. And having somebody whose sole job is to work on these routines as if they were coming up with plays in the NFL is incredibly important in the game. Um, and I just think that to say I thought the coach would do that but the, but the manager's trying to look after every other part that's the reason the game has evolved and that's why there's so many different things I just thought as per usual from Danny Murphy it was a poor take but um, yeah I do think that um, you know it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great goal it was well worked it was well planned and it was a, I don't think they planned to finish but the, the, the long throw obviously was was planned um, I thought that that VAR did well for the for the Villa penalty as well for the second one um like if you look at the the handball, the hand was complete it was at a 90 degree angle to the body. it was straight out. I know it was it wasn't too far from him, but the angle that they showed it from I suppose the penalty spot facing the goal when the camera was at that angle, if the hand wasn't there, it was going straight in by the looks of it unless there was a there was a block on the line if if a player got over. So if your arm is in that position, which is an unnatural position it's 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 straight out. And it's blocking a ball that close. It has to be a penalty. And I thought that the players didn't appeal. But VAR did its job by saying. They mightn't have noticed it. But but we did. And I couldn't understand Steve Bruce's defense. In his interview afterwards. Where. Okay. I just try to wrap your head around this. He said that. The reason the players hand went out. Is because. He was trying to get the ball. And had his foot at head height. Now. If he had his foot at head height when a player was going to head the ball and made contact, that would be a penalty as well. So how can your defence for a handball in giving away a penalty be that my player had his foot at head height in the penalty box? I just... (laughs) it baffled me. How can you think that that is a legitimate reason why a player's hand would be completely outstretched when defending... I, it absolutely made no sense. I just couldn't get over it. But what I will say about VAR is, I'm surprised that it didn't step in for the, the Martinez incident because I cannot see how that wasn't a red card. And it goes down to the idea that, you know, goalkeepers are a protected species. Um, Martinez ran out. The ball was past him and he jumped up and need Callum Wilson in the head okay that is that is what happened there was nowhere near the ball the, the ball had well had gone past them so he didn't make contact with the ball and he needed a head height now anywhere else in the pitch if any other player does that it is ascending off we look at the incident tonight with uh, Perez um, against West Ham I don't think that Perez went to injure the player but regardless of intent it was reckless the movement that he made was dangerous and put endangered the opponent and could have caused an injury and when I look at Martinez flying through the air with a knee and connecting with the player I don't care regardless of what he was trying to do he was reckless and he endangered the player and to me that's a red card and I cannot see how that wasn't given. I know there was an offside given for it, but the booking stood in the same way that VAR should have looked at Jordan Pickford on uh, Virgil van Dijk last, last season, bec- even though the the ball would have been out of play because of an offside. It is, if it's still dangerous play, regardless of what the situation is in terms of the ball being in play, it doesn't make a difference. And how that one was ignored and wasn't looked back on, I do not know. Because... If you look at the one with Ederson and Sadio Mane a few years ago, I think it was quite similar. And I'm pretty sure Ederson walked for that. Or did he only get a booking as well? Regardless of that, if he, did, if he only got a booking when he absolutely took Sadio Mane out of it, it proves my point that it's goalkeepers being an endangered species that they, for some reason, can do what they want. And this was outside of the box and it was a knee to the head. I don't know how it wasn't given. Uh, or was it Mane took Ederson out? That was it. Mane took Ederson out and he got sent off. I think, wasn't it? But my point is that if Mane did do that and he did get sent off, then isn't it the same? Shouldn't this not have been the same thing? But wasn't. Um, yeah, was it? he was looking at the ball and had his foot straight out. Point being, Martinez was, was 100% in the wrong and definitely endangered the opponent. Edison's face was mashed up. It was indeed. Exactly. Contact at head height was made and the player was sent off. Martinez does it. Does not get sent off doesn't add up to me but I did predict a Villa win before the before the, the weekend they dominated the game and they and they certainly d- delivered on that and I'm just looking there on the back in the chat there as well about Danny Murphy that he was plagued with injuries and he could have been world-class as a player I always liked watching Danny Murphy and um, he was one of these guys who just made the ball do the work and made it look effortless however as a pundit he also makes it look effortless but it doesn't work out and doesn't come out well um i really don't rate him at all and i think he has some of the worst takes out there um not you're never going to agree with everyone all of the time and i suppose that's what the the job of being a pundit is is that you're giving your opinion and you're saying certain things but listen to danny murphy anytime he does commentary or anything just for 90 minutes it's painful um with with the way that he looks at certain things um uh, so oh sorry you were referring to Danny Ings apologies not Danny Murphy um yeah but well, Danny, uh, Danny Ings is a very likable guy and he would definitely have got a better chance at Liverpool and a better crack of the whip if it wasn't for injuries then but then you look at it with Southampton great first season last season everything was going well picks up an injury so yeah the injuries have hampered him a bit but I do hope he does well with Villa um he is a very likable player uh Danny Murphy makes Jermaine Genius sound insightful um and do you know what both of them are on match of the day and I'd actually have to agree with you which is the problem and Jermaine Genus does not come out with great takes uh, the BBC and BT actually really need to work on the people that they have on as, as, as pundits overall I'm going I'm very much going off on a tangent now but there are some terrible terrible pundits out there with takes that I don't think anybody can agree with the only, th- the only ones worse than them are probably TalkSport um, that just put out tripe every day of the week just to try and get clicks it's just basically clickbait radio it's absolutely horrendous we're gonna try and get back to this agenda before i fly off the handle altogether. together um, and so <laughs> the the next game then on saturday was crystal palace and brentford it was a nil all but i don't think it was a bad nil all from what i saw seemed to be a good good intensity about it seemed to be both teams going for the win um and I suppose just looking at the teams, I predicted Anderson was going to start for Crystal Palace. That would allow Kiate move into midfield and they'd go with a 4 3 3 compared to the 4 2 that they went against with with Chelsea and that's what they did. Um I also said that Palace were gonna try and play that, that fluid um attacking football as they were hoping to do under Vieira, and I don't think it fully clicked for them to do that if I'm being truthful. Um there was look, there's a lot of changes at the club. There's new managers after coming in. They had like 10 senior players with I think it was 840 appearances for the club left in the summer. They've brought in you know, Gwehi, Anderson, um, Elise, Conor Gallagher. They, they, they've brought in a lot of people. there's a lot of changes that have happened as well as new management. So everybody's getting to know each other and it will take time, but. Throughout the game, they definitely created the better chances against Brentford, um, and I know a lot of people were thinking that Brentford, after the win against Arsenal, were were you know probably going to use that momentum and go on a run. But it's it's very different to be playing at three o'clock away to Crystal Palace than it is in the first game ever in the Premier League under the floodlights at eight o'clock at home. There, with the fans for the first time in eighteen months, it's a completely different atmosphere, and I think that you know it's it's going to be a different setting where they don't necessarily have that that 12th man to take control and i think that as i said that palace definitely created the better chances they had uh, conor gallagher hit the hit the post at one stage Benteke had a free uh, a couple of free headers that he he should have put away and um well not free headers per se but certainly ones with a man of his aerial ability would be expecting him to put away and uh james mccarthur had a good shot as well um that he just missed so they definitely had the the best chances And I think that if you look at it, Brentford would be the happier of the two teams coming out of that with a point. Um, Absolutely no question at all. And and Brentford are now looking at it going, they've got four points from the first two games, which, you know, they're in a race to 38-40 points. That's four of them done already. I think if you look at Crystal Palace, they're they're going to be thinking the exact same thing, get to that 38-40. They're only sitting on one point, obviously, with a tough game against Chelsea. And, they you know, they, they they would never expect anything from that. But it's just that idea that getting the points in the board early can can make a massive difference, and um, we've seen it with teams before that they they can go on a run up till Christmas, their mid table, and then they start drip, you know, dropping back the league as other teams start to. To click the and their quality starts to shine through and once the momentum dries up the, the the lack of quality kind of can come to the fore and the results don't go their way so if you can get enough points early on when things are going well it's you know a case of make hay while well, the sun shines because that could ultimately keep you up if even if you go on a run of six or seven without picking up a win so um you know I think that Brentford will definitely be the be the happier of the of the two on the on the back of that and one thing that I do want to mention about Brentford as well was afterwards it was uh, it was thomas frank doing an interview and he's an absolute joy to listen to in an interview he's he's so charismatic in the way that he speaks and the way he goes through everything that i would imagine as a player you would buy into absolutely everything that he says i don't think you would question his 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 ideas his ideology with the way he wants to play football i think that when he says something you would 100% be convinced and on board with it and I think that, that charisma goes a long way for for, for management and uh, Thursday when we discussed it I predicted a draw and on the day neither team took their chances and uh, it draws how it finished up Um, and just looking at our, as we're discussing the the pundits prior to that uh, Scooter saying the conflict in debate for the sake of conflict is it not it is 100% it's there is no point in it when you have people just saying controversial opinions just for the sake of controversial opinions if somebody believes it they can back it up and they want to make a statement like that fair enough but it just seems that some of them will say it just for the sake of it um and yeah I th- yeah i think bt get fo- like get former players on and like i'm not a fan of joe cole much i quite like peter crouch um it's it's kind of hit and miss but i think they just need to to refresh it. Um I think Sky can have good pundits. I like Mika Richards, um, I like Alex Scott. Um, I think that, you know, Souness I think is bitter and should be replaced. I think he's got an outdated view on so many things. Um, like for example, when Paul Pogba got four assists and he said that, yeah, but you would expect that of a player who's worth a hundred million, um, which would then result in him getting over 150 assists a season if that's what you expect. So um, yeah a bit silly uh, Crouchy and Rachel Brown Um. are the only thing saving BT yeah I think yeah Crouchy is 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 spot on um, I, I, I really do enjoy him and he's got a nice way about him as well he's got a nice way about him so I think um, but yeah Sunes I just think is is just a horrible old man <laughs> being honest with you he says some things that I'll agree with you know if he, he's not he's not a complete idiot or anything but I just think the way he views certain things are just, yeah, just a casual 150 assists, as Jambo said You know, you expect four assists every game from a player who costs 89 million. No, you don't. Four assists in any game from any player is incredible. If Messi gets four assists in a game, we rant and rave about it. If Ronaldo does it, we rant and rave about it. If Pogba does it, it's perfectly okay to rant and rave about it. Do you know, let's let's be honest. So, yeah, just bin off, soon just, I don't know, put him in the corner of a pub that's really dark and there's a candle in front of him and he looks a bit like when they first bump into aragon in the fellowship of the ring and um, just with the hood over him and the the you know the, the the pipe out smoking it and the the flicker of the candlelight in his face that's soon going to be in the corner and um, just basically waiting for the moment where somebody mentions paul pogba and the hood comes off and he jumps forward and um, that's that's how i expect the rest of Suness's life to pan out after he retired from Sky or they get rid of him. <laughs> Anyways, I've I've gone completely off topic. So I'm gonna go on to the next game, which was Leeds and Everton again Saturday at three o'clock. And um last Thursday I was saying, right, who what, what's gonna happen here? Is Rafa gonna go out and is he going to play to win or is he going to play not to get beaten? They were the options. Um was he going to go for it or was he going to sit back? And thankfully they went for it, and I think it was the best game of the weekend. Um, very lucky it was on TV here in Ireland at 3 o'clock on, on Premier Sports. And I had said that if Everton went for it, it would probably go a bit like a basketball match, because that's what happens when Leeds play, is that if you go at them, you will have your attack then they will get the ball and they will have theirs. They're not going to just play it around. They're just going to go straight for it. It's extremely direct. Not in terms of long ball direct, but it's just as simple as pass forward, move forward. That's how they will always play. Um, And everything, same as, as last week, went with a, a game plan of, we've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin up front, so we will put the ball in the box. And there was a hell of a lot of, of crosses that went in. And Calvert-Lewin was unlucky to only get the one goal, if I'm being truthful. Because there was a, a fantastic pass from Alex Awobi as a true ball, um, that the keeper rushed out to very well, and there was a couple of ones from um from Andre Gray or DeMari Gray, apologies, um, pulling the ball across. One that he didn't get on the end of, and the other one that um, the other one that was blocked by the keeper and was unlucky because it kind of went under him. So Calvert Lewin was was unlucky to only get the one goal, um, and Demary Gray as well. He did very well for his goal. The ball like the ball came true to him his first touch was horrendous I thought that was it he was he was after losing the opportunity and he managed to dig out a fantastic finish just inside the post um and his celebration was horrendous it was as bad as the first touch but the finish from the middle was pretty good so it was a bit like um you know when you're giving those constructive feedback sandwiches to people so you know normally you go something nice something critical something nice it was the opposite with him terrible first touch great finish horrendous um celebration and for for Leeds Rafinha was the danger man all game. He I mentioned that Leeds are direct. He is so direct. He gets the ball, he brings it forward, he's always trying things. He takes a chance. He doesn't play con- anything conservatively. You know, if he's got if there's a forward ball, he's got a 50-50 chance of it going through or there's a sideways pass that he's easily going to make, he will try that 50-50. He will take those chances to try and make things happen. Um and I think that that's that's a credit to him, um, and I think he's he's a, a very enjoyable player to watch. As a result, of it. and if you look at the goal that he got, it was an absolutely fantastic strike. Um, I'd love to know the speed it was clocked at because he really put the boot through it, um, and as well as that placed it nicely. And the other danger man then for for Leeds, I think, was uh was Patrick Bamford, who, I like he as always put in a great shift, and that's what you expect from a Bielsa team and everything that that goes with the Bielsa football and how they play, but. If you look, let's say, at the assist he got for for click, um, you know, I thought he did brilliantly winning it off and having the awareness to play the pass and not having that. I suppose t- I'm going to call it a typical greedy striker, um, mentality. That if that was Lewandowski and he's taking the shot, you're going, It's Lewandowski, we let him take that shot, but the amount of times that you see. Uh, a mediocre striker and when I say a mediocre striker I just mean not that elite level I mean like Patrick Bamford is a very good striker but he's a mediocre striker when you're looking at being a bad striker and being messy okay you're putting him in the middle then all right and that's what I mean when I say it and there's too many players that don't have that clinical finishing ability and that technique just taking shots from anywhere and everywhere when they see the goal and then they will get a screamer every now and again and it just encourages them to do it more and more. Um like Ronaldo over a free kick, I don't think he scored one since 2010 or something. And it's just a case of, you know, use your brain. And I think Patrick Bamford has a very good footballing brain and seeing that run from click playing the pass through, I thought was was very good. But again, Michael Keane second week in a row is at fault for for a goal. And the Everton defense, the the two of them Keane and Mina are the weakest area of that team? Um, looking at them, I think the two central midfielders, De Corey and um, Allen, ahead of them, are very solid. I think either side of them, with Coleman, who at his age after injuries isn't what he was, and Dinia are still good fullbacks. But I just think that those those two centre backs are is a, a, a an absolute calamity waiting to happen. And if you, if I'm talking about their centre backs, I have to address the Yeri Mina, Patrick Bamford. A clash, I'm going to call it. I'm going to put that in inverted commas maybe because it, it was embarrassing is the only way to describe it. So he just started rolling around the ground after Bamford just bumped into him, starts protecting the ball. And then he goes over and he put his head down and it was Kenny Cunningham at halftime on, on Premier Sports. Speaking of bad pundits, he's, he's up there as well. But he made a great point point that he said it was as if he was going in for a scrum. He just the way he dropped the head, but it was as if he was trying to headbutt Bamford's elbow so that he could then go down, clutching his face, and blame Bamford for some. It was absolutely pathetic, anyway. I was looking at it, and I'm like, this man is huge. I mean, he must be what six foot five, six foot six, maybe. Yerimina, he's an absolute monster, and he was just falling about and faffing about like I don't know what it was. Anyways, anyway, anyways the only way to describe it but before the game i predicted a draw um and it was an absolutely fantastic game i do think it was the game of the weekend it wasn't the one that i predicted as game of the weekend and um, i thought it was an absolutely cracking game and that the draw was the was the fair result um in the end because i don't think any team deserved to lose it um and if anything maybe yeah you see no i don't think there was because they voted their chances draw was a fair result. Um, so so that was another one so I was 4 from 4 at this stage in the predictions and everything was was going well and the, the last 3 o'clock game then on on Saturday was Man City and Norwich and yeah I think if Norwich could have their way anytime they're in the Premier League if they didn't have to go to the Etihad and could just forfeit the game and take a 3-0 loss it would actually protect their goal difference Um, that's the way things go with them at the Etihad it just never ends well Um. It was, and it was all City. Uh, Torres played as centre forward again. We said he looked, you know, decent against um, against Spurs, and he definitely has the movement and the finishing to be a striker. He's not there yet. He's not the finished product, and obviously it's a new position for him. He does, you know, he, I suppose, came to to City as a wide player with with Valencia. You know, he had played a couple of games up front for them last year, but mainly on um, being out wide. So he's not a hundred percent. Um, I suppose, in the mould of a striker yet, but there was an offside goal that, that City did score and his movement and his finish were absolutely fantastic for it and I think Pep can see that and he will continue to play him as a centre forward because he he can do it, and he will do it, and he'll get better and better at doing it. Uh, but the only way he will get that is by by getting given the game time to to play that way. And I think if you look at let's say the likes of Antonio with with West Ham tonight, you know he was a player who started off as a right back, went to right wing, and is now playing up as as center forward. And the only way that that's going to happen is by continuing to play there and that you develop your game that way. So I think that that's how they're going to do do things with Torres. And on the flip side of that, then you look at Gabriel Jesus, who played on the wide right and. He was absolutely superb. It was the best I've ever seen him in a in a City jersey. Now, I have to take into account that it is against Norwich. They were in complete control of the game. You know, there are these things that you have to take into account with it. But he looked absolutely fantastic. I thought his crossing was sensational. His ability to see the play, just what was happening, um, the movement he had out wide. Every part of it was it was it was pretty much a perfect performance from him. Um, then you have to look at the the greenish goal. I mean, that's what you get for a hundred million, isn't it? A guy who just stands there, a cross comes across the box and just slaps into him and goes into the into the back of the net. If that's a five million pound player, it goes wide. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, if it was less than five million, it might have even gone out for a throw, and it could have been that bad. Um, but yeah, hundred million pounds puts you a player in the box and when the ball hits them, it ends up in the back of the net, and. Uh, there you have it. That, that that's what that's what it gets you. That's what that level of money gets to you. Um, and the other players I thought that were really worth worth mentioning were were Kyle Walker and Ruben Diaz. Their passing was fantastic. Now, as I said, it is against Norwich. They they had, you know, the the freedom of the park to to be able to play these passes for for a lot of the time, but they were superb. Some of their true balls. I thought that Diaz more so than I've ever seen him in a City jersey. Was willing to take on that kind of crossfield pass, that loftier ball, um, instead of just playing a simple sideways pass. It was the the first time I really noticed it in his game, and I mentioned the Liverpool game earlier. That ball from Van Dijk that was just the most nonchalant crossfield pass I'd ever seen, and Diaz was doing a bit of that as well. And if he can add it to his game, it's it's such a boost to City because you look at Chelsea and how strong they are. They have the option that they can pass it around or they can hit it long. And I think if you have a player, a centre-back, who has the ability to switch the play that accurately, and you've got enough technical people who can take it down when it gets there, it's always going to give you that other option. Um, so teams are going to be afraid to play that high line, because if you play it in over the top or whatever it might be, they're in trouble. So they they have to sit back, which gives you more control of the game, and you can push forward to play you know more intricate passing. But it puts doubt in their mind, whatever way you're going to play. And he, I thought he did it... Um, I thought he, he did it really well, um and they um yeah I suppose the, they just dominated the game overall, you know um it was absolutely fantastic and I think Kyle Walker who I mentioned a moment ago, got a pass for Jesus for one of them and it was a great true ball um that Jesus pulled it across and that was that, um it was also noting that um Palmer came off the bench for City again now I know they've got players injured and missing from, um other you, you know international competitions and stuff and just rested but. It was interesting to see him come on he played in the community shield as well and i wonder will he continue to get games when these players come back or or what will be the plan because bar and i don't think many people have come through the the city academy in in recent years so that'll be an interesting one to to keep an eye on just for the sake of will they you know develop these i suppose use these players that they develop or are they all to be sold off for for profit to allow them to sign the galacticos essentially that they that they have at the moment I'm just looking into the chat there as well. Oh, and just to finish on that, I predicted a City win. I think everybody did. They, fucking, they ran away with it. Um, so, yeah, looking there. And I can see Ryan has joined the chat. I hope you're doing well, buddy. Um, all is good with me. Very good. Thank you very much. And it was against Grant Handley. That is a very good point. Um, that, that's fair. That's fair. But at the same time, City looked good. They did look good. Um, the late kickoff then on Saturday was Brighton against Watford. Um, I said Thursday that... Brighton were going to control the game, and it was all about can Watford counter. That's uh, I think that was going to be the the template for the game. That's how it was going to be set up, and that's how it was set up. Brighton dominated the game, except Watford couldn't counter. They didn't take their their chances. They didn't create enough when they did, um, and they. I thought that Brighton never looked in doubt from from what I saw of the game, um, which was all of the second half and um, um, the highlights of the first half, um, and Shane Duffy as well. <laughs> I think deserves an honourable mention because he went up to, to Scotland, up to Celtic last season and looked like a fish out of water. He really did just, did not look like he was related to a centre-half. He was he was that bad. And he looks like a man possessed in the opening two games and he's put in a really, really good shift and his opening, the opening goal for Brighton was a header of his which was fantastic, you know. He was running back, got the header in off the underside of the bar always makes it look better. It was a, it was a great header. Um, but the I suppose the star was of the the show was taken away from him by by Basuma. He was incredible. He was everything you would want from your central midfielder, and I mentioned earlier that you know when you know Suness's silly comments about Pogba when he got four assists, and. When Paul Pogba plays well, he makes the game look effortless. That's that's what he does. And if Paul, Bog, Paul Pogba had played a game the way Basuma did against Watford, it would be on every back page of every newspaper, and you wouldn't be able to go anywhere without seeing it all over Twitter. It was that good. He was incredible. I, like, I was watching it going, please Arsenal, please sign him. He is the complete midfielder his weight of pass was superb, he was comfortable on the ball in tight areas, no matter how many players were around him, didn't phase him, always played the, the right ball out, every time he got the ball, he went forward, he drove forward with a run, he tracked back well, he won the ball, he intercepted the ball, he got his tackles in, it was, he was superb, he was absolutely incredible, and I was looking at it going, it, it wasn't just that he did everything right, he did everything more than right. He not only did he make the right decision, did he get the right, you know, outcome? Did he make the right tackle? Whatever it might be, he did it with with absolute class. And I thought he was he was sensational. And his assist to to Neil Mope basically epitomised that performance where he got in, made the interception. Uh, uh, the ball went into to Mope, who who had a good finish. And and Mope now his he seems to be more clinical this year. That's that's two goals and two games for him. Um and. You know, a, a goal scoring striker is what Brighton very much lacked. Um so, you know, that's if, if he can keep scoring, that you know, Brighton would be delighted. But he did go off with a with a shoulder injury and he is basically their only clinical striker. Aaron Connolly came on and he missed an absolute sitter um at one stage. And when Connolly broke on the scene, he seemed to have that, that clinical edge. And I don't know, was it just you know, youthful exuberance or whatever it might have been, but his calmness in front of goal seems to have deserted him, and that that ability to keep his composure and, and put the ball in the back of the net just seems to have escaped him a small bit. So, if Mopé is out and he's there this to, there to step in, he would want to sort that out. Or it's going to be much the same for Brighton this season as it was last year. Where they'll probably create these chances, but not end up taking them. Um, and I think they're being linked with uh, Darwin Nunez from um, Benfica, who. Again, if they can get him, that'll lighten the load on Mope, but it'll be a hell of a signing. And I think they also um hit the release clause as well. Um for I'm probably gonna pronounce his name wrong, cucarella I think is how it's pronounced. Um ex Barcelona left wing back who's with uh Jatafe now, eighteen million. Um could be an outstanding signing. And if you're looking at it, that does seem to be their weak area, that left wing back position, um where they're kinda of going with soli march and pascal gross there the opening games of the season so it'd be a hell of a signing and brighton just just doing bits you know doing, getting better and better improving just going under the radar um won't be an easy game for anybody and and doing everything very very nicely um and i predicted a a, a Brighton win on this one and they delivered very much so um, and just looking there Seymour in the chat saying that Basuma looks like a gem for Brighton I think Basuma would look like a gem for most teams um, I think if he was if he would get much more plaudits if he wasn't with Brighton because people would rate the performance so much more as, as tends to happen um, I think when you look at all the good work that Kante does Basuma does a lot of that good work when you look at the way that he treats the ball in tight spaces plays the pass forward drives forward I think if you look at, let's say, the likes of, let's say, Thomas Partey with Arsenal, when he does that, it makes it look effortless. Basuma does the same. When Pogba drives forward with the ball and lays a pass off, he makes it look effortless. And I think that, that Basuma does that. I, I genuinely think he's the complete midfielder and he's, he's done it the right way. He, he wasn't perfect when he came to the Premier League and I'm not saying he's perfect now, but week on week, he just seems to get better and better. And I don't think there's many teams out there that wouldn't look at a player like him and say, yeah, he makes us better. If I look in the Premier League alone, I think that you could argue even Man City in that holding midfield role ahead of of Rodri, but I do think there's more to his game than just that. But you could argue him going in there. Chelsea would probably be tougher because of the strength that, that they have in those midfield options. But, you know... Like, yeah, you're tough you're putting him up against Kante let's say for that position I don't think he'd he'd beat Kante out but would he get in ahead of Kovacic probably in my eyes um, Arsenal he'd walk into United I think he'd walk into Spurs I think he'd walk into um, you know we're looking at Liverpool I think he'd, he'd probably get into that midfield you'd argue that Henderson and Fabinho are quite similar and maybe not for that reason but you know he's still a top top player he is so good so that was he was the the one for me to watch in the um the Brighton game and thought it was absolutely fantastic and I'm just looking there I think I uh missed a follow from Haas00312 um so thank you very much for the follow not that I don't think an alert came up for whatever reason um, so yeah, then we're on the the Sunday games. So the first game on Sunday, two o'clock, was Southampton Man United. And um, so United actually looked good for large parts of it, but did not take their chances. The only, I think, the only thing that would worry United fans would be the majority of the chances that they were creating were from set pieces. They didn't seem to have that creative spark in open play. That, that created the, the, the clear-cut chances by comparison when you look at the Leeds game the, the week before. Breezy, thank you very much for the raid and welcome over, everybody. Um, I'm sure you're a very happy man after doing your, your watch-along for the West Ham game um, with a, with a cracking performance. That we'll be getting onto here shortly to analyse, but um, uh, it was an outstanding result. Outstanding result. Um, so thank you very much for bringing everybody over here. Do appreciate it. Mr Cookie, thank you very much for the follow as well. Um, I'm just going through the Premier League games I'm currently on the the Southampton Man United game at the moment and saying how the big worry I think for United will be that the majority of their chances came came from set pieces Um, and I think that that's probably an issue when you have Matic and Fred as your two midfielders and Pogba needs to be back in, those, in, in that central midfield area creating that's why you have the likes of Sancho to be out wide that's why you have even Greenwood can play out there though I do perform as a striker you know you need to have the, the width in the team and have Pogba there with Fernandez ahead of him. That gives you your creative options. You don't you certainly don't get that with them. you certainly don't get that with the um you know a, a McFred or with you know Matic and Fred. You you don't get that same creativity. And that's the that's the big thing. And um, that's no problem at all, Breezy. Thank you very much for popping over and uh have a good night's sleep, buddy. Um and I think that if United had taken one of those chances early on, they'd probably have run away with the game. Um, But they didn't. And Southampton dug deep. It wasn't... I mean, they looked a shambles last week. And they took the chance when it came their way. I mean, Maguire, I thought, was brutal for the goal. He got sold a dummy. Went down on one knee. That allowed Shea Adams to get the shot away, which 100% took a deflection, which, you know, was the... um, you know that was that's what the what caused the goal. It was the the deflection. I think otherwise it was probably comfortable for for David de Gea. But McGuire allowed that shot to get away by dropping to the knee um, and 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 taking the dummy, which was particularly weak. And if you look at, I suppose you look at um, Southampton throughout the game. You look at the miss from Adam Armstrong as well. That was probably as clear cut a chance as the game hadn't, especially at the time that it happened. Southampton probably came away from it going, we rode our luck for a lot of it, but we could easily have come away with the three points. And I saw a thing actually on Monday Night Football this morning, which I which I hadn't noticed. In the last 20 minutes, United only had one shot, which I think is incredible when you consider how strong they were away from home for the past however long, and the, the how well they were coming from behind to win games last season. So it's probably, you know, is it that case of the fan factor being back in the stadiums? Is that what's affecting it? Maybe you would still expect United should have won that game. I said, like last week, I said, when Everton were coming up against them, that Southampton were there for the taking, and I genuinely thought it was going to be the same today. Uh, yesterday, apologies. And it, it wasn't. It, it was interesting to see. But Greenwood got another goal for United. He's definitely going to be a striker, and this season is going to be his breakout season. I think, you know, you have to look at it. And, yeah, I think he's going to... He's, he's going to get a hell of a lot of goals this season but he's going to get a hell of a lot more next year um, when he really gets his position nailed down but he is a centre forward he's a very good finisher his movement in the box he knows where the spaces are he ticks all the boxes that you'd be yet yeah, that you'd be looking for and I think that yeah it, it's even the even the, the goal itself he was standing completely unmarked I thought Pogba did quite well to find him I'll be honest but he scuffed the shot it still went in it was a striker's goal so I think that look I predicted a United win and I was shocked that they didn't win and as I said by the time the final whistle came around Southampton might have even looked at it to say you know what we uh we were maybe a bit unlucky not to, to get the three points there I'm um, just going to go back to the the chat there now for a bit as well um looking at Sebi my sincerest apologies for your trauma fellow Arsenal fan it is tough we're here together. I'm actually coming on to the Arsenal game, so there's probably after the the Spurs one, so there's going to be a bit of a a rant at that stage. I'll be honest. Um, and to be fair, I think a draw was fair. Do you know what? As the game went on, it probably was. I don't like. I don't think Southampton deserved to win it, but they had the chance to win it. Um, but the missed chances from United and some of the last ditch defending from Southampton, how they were were still in it at that stage, I thought was was absolutely mental. Um, just looking there what do you make of Adama Traore with Wolves um, do you think he'd be made a better team uh, he would be better with a better team in England or in a big club in Europe Adama Traore is absolutely incredible at running at finding space and at getting himself in the right position if he could finish he would be one of the most sought after players in the world but we saw it last week against Leicester one on one with the keeper put it wide to the post we saw it yesterday against Spurs 1-1 on with the keeper put it straight at Lloris he doesn't have the end product and it was said about him throughout his career and I know that when he came from Barcy, he went to Villa he was at Middlesbrough and everybody was saying but where's the end product Nuno started to get it out of him at Wolves his crossing was looking better he seemed to be looking at uh, looking at the man you know he wasn't just punting the ball in for the sake of it which is what he was doing earlier in his career or doing all these step overs and losing the ball a bit like what Canu would have done with Arsenal years ago where he beats three men but he's further away from the goal than when he started you know it was kind of a bit pointless but with Traore his product was starting to get there his end product he was starting to pick out a man he was there was somebody coming in at the edge of the box he wasn't lofting it in he was pulling it back and all these bits but It seems to have you know evaded him now again. And what what age is Traore He's 25, 26 now, I'd say. You'd kinda want it to start kicking in now. But the thing is, because of his pace, he will always be dangerous. He will always, always be dangerous. It also means that an opposition defense is never going to be comfortable playing a high line. Um, I mentioned it a moment ago with Man City now all of a sudden that we saw Diaz against Norwich kind of playing that longer pass. It means the teams are worried about stepping up. So they step, they, they drop back, which means you as a team gain 5 or 10 yards because of the pace that you have. So it allows you to control the game a bit more. So straight away, without even touching a ball, he's influenced the game, which is a, a big boost for any team. But I just don't think he has that. If, if he could finish, as I said, he'd be one of the best players in Europe. But he can't, unfortunately. Um just looking there as well, there's a couple of bits about the championship. I'll be coming to the championship in a bit. And uh yeah, Peterborough beaten Derby in uh, last weekend, not the weekend, just gone, but the week before, in an incredible game and getting the winner in or was it the ninety-seventh minute and then losing the press in north end to I think that was their first win of the season as well so you know absolutely mental um and just saying there as well that you're liking the stream early impressions thank you very much Jordan very much appreciate it and that you agree with me on Traore it's not just it's not just me so and Greece lightning pace I like that reference uh Jemera I like the reference I said in a in a group chat earlier um with a, with a couple of the guys that he can run fast and he's got big oily arms that's how I would describe a damn a and uh yeah that's 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 kind of summing him up really um if you could put he can run fast he's got big oily arms and he can finish then all of a sudden you've got a hell of a player um and as we're discussing that the next game that actually popped up was same time as the southampton united game it was the Wolves spurs game at two o'clock on sunday and i thought the, the big change in that one and it definitely resulted in the in the win was Delhi Alley getting further forward as we would have seen him do previously, in particular under Pochettino, and getting in and around the box. Obviously, he was the one who who won the penalty and, and scored it, so he was definitely going to be the, the game-changer in that sense. But what baffled me about the, the penalty is, and I'm not to say that I don't think it was a penalty, because I do think he was brought down, but if you look at it then a few minutes later, Skip made the exact same contact in the opposition box, which was probably the same amount of contact as... James had on Saka later on in the Arsenal match and the level of contact in all three of those incidents I think was the exact same I'm not saying that it was completely clearing a player out or anything like that but only one was given as a penalty and I know the refs are trying to let things go and their big thing when it comes to penalties is was it enough to bring him down and I think all three of those were enough to bring the player down and were all same level of contact so i just find i just found it strange with that being honest with you but i think it's something that we're going to have to try and get used to as the season goes by and it will probably level out over the season in the sense that they'll have a better idea themselves the referees as to what is going to constitute a foul and what's not and i still i still think they're a bit uneasy about it they're probably letting some stuff go that they shouldn't and then trying to rectify it later by blowing up for a decision that they don't need to blow up for I think there's still an element to that going on Um, the next part I had prepared in my notes was discussing Traore and how he created the you know so much and that Wolves as a team were absolutely brilliant I mean they definitely had the the lion's share the chances from from the the highlights that I saw and they will look back extremely disappointed on the game um, to to not have gotten anything and if you look at them last week against Leicester, you look at them this this week against Spurs, two games back-to-back, that they were arguably the better team. They created probably the better chances, but they still haven't scored in the Premier League. And I think that once they get a goal, the confidence will start to come and they'll start to go, that's how we're going to do it. And they'll start to build from there. I think at the moment, they're probably just lacking that bit of confidence and probably lacking that small bit of i suppose cohesiveness that comes with the new manager as well and i think that they're they're, they're missing that and i think that that'll help an awful lot if they can get it is having is having somebody you know i suppose having that understanding for yes it's clicked we now know what to do i now know what to expect when i play that ball off when i make this move we understand how it's going to work and i think under Nuno certainly when they the first got into the Premier league they really had that then they lost Jota and then Neto started suffering with injuries. Last season, they didn't have Jimenez. So they've had a bit of a, a turbulent mix up front. And I think that if they can just play with the same front three for a few weeks, the goals will start to come back and Wolves will look a decent team. And uh, they looked a decent team and I think they will play They will play much better and they will do um, They will do quite well. I, I, I know that a lot of people were worried about them this season after losing Nuno. I wouldn't be worried about them anyway, even after two games without a goal. I think that the way they're playing they're creating enough and they're doing enough right things that the results will turn and I think that Spurs probably came out of the game yesterday definitely the happier there too because they probably rode their luck and ended up coming away with three points Um, and I was very surprised to see Harry Kane come on as a sub as well um, I had said there last week I didn't think he was going to kick a ball until after the transfer window closed um, because if it was the fact that City came in with 150 million and then he got injured and he was out for six months they would be saying well now we don't have Harry Kane for six months and we also don't have 150 million um, but he did come on as a sub and I think that was credit to how good Wolves were that Nuno wasn't happy with what was on the pitch and he didn't feel he had enough on the pitch to see it out and he wanted to make sure of it, and that's why he brought on them, um, brought on Kane. Um, would be my, my looking at, it. and I predicted the Spurs win for it. And even though they probably didn't deserve it, a draw would have been the the fair result. They um they got to the win in the end. I just gotta go back to the chat there now as well. I feel with Traore; he doesn't get better. Um, if he plays in the top five side, where some players are, that. yeah, exactly. Like that's the thing; Traore's weaknesses aren't caused by teammates whereas some players can get better because they have a better quality of pass into them other players can create more space etc his weaknesses I think are very much his own and I don't think he improves regardless of the the team that he's in um following the championship this season early thoughts on who's up for promotion before the season started I said Fulham or Bournemouth to win it and I still think both of them are pretty good and I'm quite liking the look of QPR they're playing very well and Mick McCarthy with Cardiff he's enough he knows enough to, to to get the job done so I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the mix either Um, just looking back there I can just picture a damn if he was at a top club I feel his confidence would go up and he would be flying I've never seen anybody on a field with such it, I, I agree I mean his pace is incredible but I just I, I feel that he'd want to have started doing it by now in terms of his finishing for it to, to kick in at 25 years of age which I think he is um, I'll stand corrected on it I think you need you want to be putting the ball in the back of the net a bit more frequently, um. At this stage, if I'm being honest. Which also, Jordan, I think I missed it, but thank you very much for the for the follow. Also on the same to Jay Mara and Shaughnessy, I'm just looking back. I've missed a good few, um. And to Sebby and Mister Cookie, if I didn't mention you earlier earlier either, um. And he hardly gets a game for Spain. And look how they play. Yeah, I don't like. He's not going to fit into a team that dominate possession because. It doesn't allow him to use that asset of of pace. He works best in a counter-attacking team, um, and the majority of top teams will look to dominate the the ball. And um, so, it's an interesting one, Traore. But I think you could debate it for days, and you could probably look at it. Um, you know, when his career is over, and go, oh God, he was one of those ones that got away. He could have been so much, so much better than he was. I'm going to apologize in advance now for the for the next part of the of the stream because I'm on to the. To the Arsenal-Chelsea match and for those of you who don't know who have joined I am an Arsenal fan um, so it, it's obviously going to be quite painful for me first thing I'm going to say Arsenal and Chelsea there are gulfs apart when it comes to the quality of the team Chelsea genuinely look the best team in the league and they will 100% be challenging for the title arsenal at best this season are hoping to finish sixth that's the most that arsenal could probably achieve this season that's what they would fight for to get to that level so it's not like you know years ago where we you're saying they're going to be at the same level or if chelsea dropped off and they we are talking very very different levels we're talking chelsea are an elite team that have champions of Europe for a very good reason and Arsenal are essentially an upper mid-table club fighting for Europe right now and that's based that's not based on the club size club history the club whatever that is based on the current situation as to exactly where they are and just saying Arsenal be lucky to to come 6th to Contamera very lucky to finish 6th that's why I'm saying fighting for it and that is the best that Arsenal could hope for this season it's not what I expect to happen I could see 8th for the third year in the row very easily if we finish ninth or 10th with the way we've been playing that wouldn't surprise me I think it's all going to come down to after the international break do we get a couple of wins against like we've got Norwich do we beat Norwich if we don't beat Norwich then you're going right we're, we're bang in trouble and it, 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 it's that simple but the, the game I thought Chelsea were so professional it broke my heart but they started off the game going right we need to score because we need to get ahead in the match and they did it. Arsenal attacked at the start. They said, look, just give them 10 minutes. Let them have the ball for 10 minutes. You know, we'll settle down. If they, if we can get the ball back then, then we can control the game. And for 10 minutes, Arsenal had the ball, did nothing with it. Then Chelsea got the ball and said, right, now we're going to play our game. And the goal came in 15 minutes. And that was it. Then they got a second one. Said, fantastic. Second half, they just shut the game down. They didn't need to do anything else. They just controlled the game. Let's pass the ball around. Let's go hold the play. You know, let's make them run for a bit. That's all we have to do. Just see out the game. It was ultimate professional performance, which broke my heart, but they did. They controlled absolutely everything. Defensively, they didn't look worried at any stage. Um, the only clear-cut chance, I suppose, that you could say Arson had was maybe the holding header. Maybe the Smith-Rowe one that Aspilicueta blocked, which was superb defending. Um, but, oh, lady with the follow. Um, But overall it was a you know a team that you know you would expect to be winning the league or challenging for it against a team who would be upper mid table that is very much how the game looked that that was it but what frustrated me the the most is that we knew we were coming into this as the second best team and did nothing to address that fact and i've said this that when arteta joined He realised we weren't as good as teams we were playing. He went with a 3-4-3. said we're going to be tight defensively. And then we're going to try and catch teams on the counter. And we're going to try and create our chances that way. Because we're not good enough to control the game against teams like them. And yet. If you look at it last season. We even did it against Chelsea when we won 1-0. Towards the end of the season. They had all of the ball. They dominated the game. We got a very lucky goal. And we won 1-0. If we'd come away from a point from that game yesterday. It would have been a massive result for Arsenal because it would have been a point picked up (laughs) and there would have been something to cling on to. But how we didn't go with a 3-4-3 is beyond me and how Arteta didn't adapt to that after the first goal went in. We had the players on the pitch that nothing needed to change to go to a 3-4-3. Saka needed a drop back to a left wing back with Tierney coming inside. That was all we had to do to change it. And it just looked so, so poor. with The space that Rhys James had every time was, was absolutely incredible. It was embarrassing and not reacting to something to me is a massive, massive weakness. Um and if if that was any top manager, they 100 percent would have made the changes to get the result. And they and, and Arteta didn't. And that is on him. I'm not I'm not saying oh Arteta out and all this nonsense or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But I am saying that regardless of any player on the pitch's performance that is on him. And that's a, that's a fact. We had Pablo Mari playing up against Lukaku. Pablo Mari, in his last three games, there was the game against Spurs at the end of pre season in the mind series. I think it was Spurs, or maybe it was the Chelsea game, where he literally let a player run past him, threw his arms in the air like that, and fell down. He was afraid to touch him. Last week against Bournemouth, Embuemo had a lovely bit of skill. Where he absolutely did Ben White. Pablo Mari was behind him. With his hands in the air. And fell over. And after the shot got away. Started to give it out to the ref. For absolutely nothing. And then again yesterday. Against Lukaku. He he went into a shoulder battle. And he threw himself to the ground. And looked at the ref again. He's 6 foot 4. He's a 6 foot 4 centre back. And he's afraid to actually get in a shoulder battle with anyone, I'm not saying he's going to beat Lukaku to shoulder battle, but fight to get in front of him, do something, don't just fall over, it was like, I mean, honest to God, if I look at that Arsenal squad, and I look at Pablo Mari, if there's two bad centre-backs, he's both of them, he's absolutely horrendous, I just thought, it was the lack of fight, he just doesn't seem to be comfortable in anything he's doing, like, I, I, admittedly he was exposed a lot for the game we could have had centre midfielder sitting in front of him to help protect the, the pass into him Tierney was trying to cover for him as well as trying to cover left back which meant that Reese James had space all over. we can look at the tactical side of it very much but just from a personal point of view of a 1v1 if you, don't, if you think Lukaku stronger and Lukaku is stronger fair enough then don't do that drop off give yourself the extra yard because you know he's going to get the run on you and he's going to go past you or try to get a, in front of him you know, do something. But trying to just go side by side and fall down was absolutely pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. And it just, it, it infuriates me because I think that if you're a centre-back, your job, that's what your job is. You're going to be in those battles. And if you can't get, if you're afraid to get stuck into those battles, you're in the wrong position. You should have been a winger trying all these flare tricks where, you know, if you get a little tap, you're going to fall over because that's not the job of a... Uh, of a centre back centre back you need to get stuck in um, and that was you know painful and as I said look there was definitely issues with not having a holding midfielder there massively by playing four at the back against three strikers against three um, front players that all played quite narrow we just got you know taken out of uh, out of it all together and you can look at the tactical side but on a personal level if you're a professional footballer you fight for those balls and I thought that the best Arsenal player was actually um, Laconga who just came over from, from Anderlecht, 21 years of age. And every time he got the ball, at least he tried to create something. He always got the ball. He looked forward with the pass every time, looked comfortable on the ball. And I think these, there's definitely um, there's definitely a lot of potential in him. I think when Party comes back from the injury, I would want to be seeing um, him start alongside Party as opposed to Jacques and Partey. Um, because I think he gives you a bit more athleticism as well which is something that Shaq heavily lacks if, if Shaq had a yard a pace he'd be a, a much much better player um, it's his mobility that lets him down an awful lot um, so look I didn't go too bad on it I didn't fly off the handle too much but I predicted it a Chelsea win and if we're being honest at no point did it look in doubt they absolutely bossed the game and it was a complete professional performance um, and i think i'm after missing quite a bit in the chat there so i will go go back to that um as a had a sinking chip in his hands before he handed over the reins he did but they never looked this poor the thing was that under Wenger, at least arsenal attacked and they created chances and they played attractive football so on the games where we won it was a rush it was exhilarating it was fantastic to watch now if we win a game it's been a struggle when we lose a game it's definitely been a struggle when we draw a game we've probably made hard work of that too there's no fluidity in the play and that's the the biggest weakness of the team as a whole that if you're going to be weak defensively at least look you know at least have a sharp attack we don't do either we're blunt on both ends of the pitch and that's the that's the major worry Um, did just a big question here from um Jordan do you think Arteta was right for Arsenal and do you think he's on the right track? <laughs> I've just been damning of tactics there and everything about it. I Whether he was the right man, I don't know. Um, and it's easy to say no. I thought, at the time, I was very excited. Um, I thought when he came in and he started being very pragmatic, that's what I wanted to see from a manager. Realised what he had, tried to work with it. Now, because I think he's signed players, he's being too stubborn in the way that he wants us to play. And I think that's foolish on his part. Um, where he's saying this is how I want to play football when we improved last season was when he made a realisation that his tactic wasn't working he wanted to play a 4-3-3 and when he realised that wasn't working and switched to a 4-2-3-1 by introducing Emile Smith role that's when we improved and it's also a sign of bravery for a manager I think to say that they got something wrong and to change it from what it is that they wanted to do us playing Chelsea yesterday and trying to play football and dominate the game was never going to work we had to try nullify chelsea and hope a chance came our way. take a draw if we got it because chelsea will beat better teams than arsenal this season and they will beat them handsomely if you go back a few years ago and barcelona with javi and yes busquets and all those and you played them and you got beaten off the park you went well we're playing one of the best playing chelsea at the moment is playing one of the best and that's the level that it's at But what's unforgivable, in my opinion, is not going out with a team and a tactic and a plan that was going to nullify that and going into it in such a naive manner. And the players, not like Pablo Mari, as I mentioned, and I feel bad picking on just him because there's other players who didn't put in the the shift that would have been required as well, but just not doing what you should be doing. And if he'd fought Lukaku and Lukaku had out-muscled him, fair enough Lukaku gave him one shove and he fell to the ground and that's not good enough so there's a few things and is Arteta on the right track there are glimpses of it yes I think Udegaard coming into the team again is going to be massive he very much is what Arteta wants high press creative player we get the ball into the box more when he's on the pitch Smith Rowe has improved in that sense as well and I think the two of them will definitely sharpen up the attack but we're still quite a way away from where we need to be at and i think we do need to realize i think arteta needs to realize we're not as good as he maybe thinks we are based on the training sessions that he's seeing because when we want to do the pitch at the weekend they're not living up to what they need to do um what percentage chance do you reckon arsenal have against city five percent ten percent chance maybe if arteta learns from his mistake against city and goes to try and shut City or against Chelsea and tries to shut City down and comes up with something different like we did in the cup a few years ago. Um then we might have a chance if he tries to play football. They put five past Norwich, they'll put five past us. Um sorry there now I'm just catching up on all the chat. Uh Basuma will be better a better signing than Ramsdale. I can understand the Ramsdale signing. But I think Basuma would be ideal in that team. I was ranting and raving about him earlier, so I won't go on again. He's I think he's absolutely fantastic. He is exactly what we need. I would bite your hand off for him. Uh, any signings you think Arsenal will make before the window? I do think we will make signings. There's talks of William leaving. Um he's in talks with Corinthians in, in Brazil. is going on loan to Fiorentina. Um and is in talks with with Palace. I think they're just trying to negotiate a fee there. So there's going to be money coming in, and more importantly, there's going to be a lot of pl- wages off the off the book. As Klasnec going to to Fernabacha. I think if you look at even the loan from Torreira, Willian leaving, even though it won't be as full wages, probably off the books because of the amount that we offered him. And you look at Klasnec going, and you look at Enketia going. We'll probably be freeing up quarter of a million a week there between those players, and um, which gives you a nice amount of cash in the in the wage budget as as, as if we can find the right person um in a joy from Chelsea on loan for a season I heard I don't think that they will give they didn't even want Tammy Abraham to leave to a, to a rival so I couldn't see um, I couldn't see that happening and I think that um, Tuchel will want to play him as a right wing back and if he's getting rid of him he'll probably sell him um, Chelsea have done fantastic business this year they've sold more than they've like they spent they sold over 100 million they've covered Lukaku with the sales that they've made and they haven't weakened the squad anywhere <laughs> It's, it's incredible business, um, and I'm not a Chelsea fan in any way, shape or form, so I have to credit the business that they've done and the way they've gone about it, because they basically just bought one of the most complete strikers in the world, the exact missing piece of the puzzle that they needed, and they've done it through the sales of players who they didn't think were going to be in the squad, Tamori, um they sold the other lad to Atalanta who hasn't a pasalich. all these guys have been sold to pay for it done uh will United break Arsenal and beating away league record at Wolves on Sunday and um, more than likely if I'm being honest with you it's not exactly a record I would cling on to as much it's a nice it's a, one of those records nice to have um but then again I say that if Wolves get a goal I mentioned it earlier bang the floodgates could open and they could they could click and who knows what they could do if Traore found the back of the net with one chance and he got his confidence up who knows um, and they've got the likes of um, Trinko there, who, who's, who's a magician of a player. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Jimenez, if he gets a goal, the Molyneux would be absolutely hopping. They wouldn't be able to move because of you know the the story that would be in it. So you know you never know. Ball comes out to Ruben Neves and he gets one of his thirty yard screamers. There's you know there's there's things that can happen, but I would expect United. I wouldn't expect United to lose. I, draw. I wouldn't expect them to lose anyway. They'll probably beat that record. Um, the only one that are... The only one that really matters, to Arsenal I think is thirty-eight games, without the without the loss. That's the only record that's that's there. Um, and just before we, I'll get to that question in chat. There, I'll just go through tonight's game. Um, <laughs> I I to laugh. I was doing my notes as I was watching the game, so it's not looking back on it afterwards as I would do with all the other games. So it's probably slightly different here. But, um, I thought that that West Ham were were superb. They were a the better team. They they controlled the game. Um, Leicester had the ball, but West Ham controlled the game. Um, for large parts and the opening goal was absolutely brilliant I thought Rice was superb winning the ball back the, the the ball back then from Ben Rama I thought was a fantastic cross and the finish from Fornals was superb then you have to look at the, the red card I don't think Iose Perez went in to injure Fornals but it was definitely reckless he saw the player coming he was aware he was there he went in with his with his studs up at a lunge I don't think he was trying to hit the player. I think he was probably trying to plant his foot or whatever. But when you saw the player, you know he's there. You cannot go in with your studs like that. It was reckless, endangering an opponent. Definite red card. And Fornals is very lucky not to have suffered a serious injury on the back of it. And um, because of you, look where the contact was made. And um, very easy for an ankle break there, or anything to, to happen, or any ankle ligament damage with the pressure being put down, and um, from that area, it just. I think he was very lucky to get away with it. But, but as I said, before that red card, West Ham were a better team. When they went down to the 10 men, they just needed to take their opportunities. And the back pass from Cy Unzu that Antonio cut out was absolutely horrendous. It was non-league stuff. Not even looking, trying to play a back pass. Absolutely abhorrent. Just terrible. Um, Antonio did well. I thought that Schmeichel actually did enough to make it awkward for Antonio. Um, and if it wasn't for the the, the runner, they, they could have got away with it. But did well to to pull the ball back for uh, for Ben Rama. Um, that Schmeichel made a, a couple of good saves to to Antonio, um, which I thought was kind of was keeping Leicester in it. And then all of a sudden they got the ball, goal back through, through Tielemans and you're going geez, has 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 Schmeichel done enough that might help them get a point now if they can if they can push on and get lucky. But the um, the goal then that Antonio got his first of the game it, it reminds me of Lukaku against Arsenal where he used his strength against Sion. so his touch was lovely because it took it away from the player into open space and he was able to swivel on it. Thought it was a great goal. Um, and I'm just looking at the notes I had here um, that I said, I do find it crazy that Antonio is now West Ham's uh, highest Premier League goal scorer with 48 goals. And then the next line I said, make that 49 goals. So, um, But I do find it mad. I mean, when you think of how long the Premier League has been going and a lot of the players that West Ham would have had, that decanio was top with that number. You'd have expected somebody to, you know, have six seasons at, you know West Ham getting 10 goals a season or something but I suppose they did have spells in the championship or whatever that would have cancelled it out but you know I just thought it was a a baffling number but um I thought this was going to be game of the weekend that's what I predicted last week it wasn't I think Leeds versus Everton was game of the weekend and I did predict uh Leicester win for this one and they they have never looked like winning if we're being truthful I thought West Ham were were absolutely superb throughout it um, so just going to go back onto the chat there now um, early impressions on the teams that came up um, Brentford I really liked in the championship and I really like the way they go about business with their data approach and everything and I think that obviously beating Arsenal was a massive thing for them but you kind of almost saw it coming um, but it will get harder for them um, no doubt but they'll they'll do things their way and they'll be clever about it they'll try and use set pieces to get, to, to get these extra goals that can keep them up and I'd love to see them stay up um, but I think it's still early days with them. Watford, I think, are very hit and miss. If they click going forward, because of the the players that they have, they can cause anybody problems, but they will probably be exposed um on the other side of it as well. And I think Norwich are probably quite similar. Um, Norwich have had a terrible start to the season and they have an awful run. And it's harder for a team, when you start that way, to then get momentum halfway through. I think that, like Brentford getting that early win is massive for them Watford getting the early win it's massive for them I think that it's tougher for Norwich then because they're having to probably get going six or seven games in and try to build up a run then knowing and there's the weight of the relegation zone is on your shoulders already then where you're looking at the points difference that you have to claw back but all those teams have to play the teams that you did but they're spaced out more so I think that's that's very tough for them um and just anything else that I missed here as well do I think that Chelsea will go unvincible this season they're good enough to but I don't think they will and the reason I don't think they will is that I think United, Liverpool and City are good enough to beat them Um, on their day I think that they can beat them on their day so I think that it's not just one team that could potentially beat them I think that there's probably three there that could get a result against them um. Let's say when when Chelsea are away from home, and the other thing is that in the Premier League there is very often shocks, and there, I've no doubt that there will be a shock that Chelsea will lose a game that they shouldn't lose. They could have done it yesterday. It would have been helpful, but I just think that there's there's too many, too many there, for them to, to to too many chances for them to slip up to go unbeaten. But I, they would be my tip for the the league this year. Um. I just think they're incredible to, to to to, to look at. I think they're absolutely superb. Um, and Jordan's saying I agree look at Sheffield United exactly you get on a run early days and it can keep you up you look at Blackpool those years ago it nearly kept them up even though they were terrible from Christmas onwards because they had a run early in the season so you know you there's a there's a lot like that that you just have to get on a run early get your points on the board and then just try not to completely capitulate just start picking up points every now and again you're not going to win a lot in the bouts but if you lose three on the bouts get a draw get a win after it lose one win one you know just, you just need to, to keep plugging away like that so with the Premier League down we'll start looking at some of the other the other leagues and we've been discussing the championship and the the Friday night kickoff in the championship it was Swansea against uh, Bristol City and I was watching it Um, Swansea were lucky not to be two or three behind early on and uh, Bristol City looked absolutely fantastic um, with the player who I used to love when he was at Villa, Andrew Feiman, he was he was heavily involved in a lot of it, and um, then the chance came to them and they took their goal. They played a one-two with the post as you do, and took their chances. And um, yeah, that 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 was it. They um, they, you know they got the the three points at the end of it, which was very much needed because they were they they were really in trouble and under Russell Martin did not look confident at all, and um, playing out from the back. And I thought when I saw Bristol City. I even tweeted it out I was like they're in trouble here I said they are in trouble um, Bristol City weren't clinical enough had they got the first goal I think they would have gone on to, to get more and Swansea probably wouldn't have got anything from the game and then there would have been massive pressure on Russell Martin so that would definitely take a weight off his shoulders um, getting that result and then the early kickoff was QPR uh, Blue Boy. Thank you very much for the follow. Uh, the early kickoff then on Saturday was QPR, who came from 2-0 down to get the two-two draw, and um, thanks to a late Charlie Austin goal. Though I do debate whether Charlie Austin should have been allowed play, I still stand by it that that was a headbutt midweek, and I don't know how retrospective action wasn't taken on it, but it wasn't. Um, they got the they got the draw, they got the two-all, and QPR are definitely going to be there thereabouts this season. They're playing very well and they have a lot of a lot of exciting players I'm really like watching uh, Chris Willock I think he's been been one of the, the standout players in any of the, the highlights that I've been watching um, so they're definitely a team to to keep an eye on um, Austin is chunky dislike the bloke I just the thing about it the reason I dislike Charlie Austin is he's on TalkSport now and TalkSport is the is basically where idiots congregate and I said in a tweet there recently that if they brought a penguin into the studio it would raise the IQ level and I stand by it. Um, Stoke then kept up their their winning ways. Um they and they were against Forrest and I feel for Chris Uton because Forrest looked bang in trouble. Um, they're not getting results, the performances don't seem to be there, and a one 0 win for for Stoke there, thanks to, to Josh Timon. And Stoker are, are one of the teams now now join top on uh, ten points. And I wouldn't have predicted them at the start of the season but they seem to be doing very well under um Michael O'Neill, Laneil um, and they seem to be playing good football and getting results so they're probably going to be there thereabouts at the end of the season certainly if they can keep this up. Um Derby then they got a draw. They dug out a draw against um oh, I can't even remember who they were playing against. Um it is gone for me. Who were Derby playing against? I cannot remember but they got the draw. Um and It's huge for them. It was always going to be a tough season for them. Middlesbrough, thank you very much, Jordan. And um, it was always going to be a tough season for them. But all things considered, they've done pretty well, and probably should have done better apart from that game against Peterborough, when it all went to pieces like a jigsaw on the box at the end. Um, I thought that you know they could they could easily be on. I think they're on five points at the moment. They could easily be on six, even eight points that didn't seem likely at the start of the season at all um, so I think fair play to them if they can keep doing this it's a young team that are doing it it's a lot of uncertainty around the club the, the mood must be miserable considering everything from the board but if they keep getting results it'll pick up and once they can get paid every week you know they'll they'll end up keeping up the, the form they, they, you know they could stay up and I think if they stay up this season it's absolutely huge for them um, and then they can look at trying to address the financial issues that are there and um, and go again proper because uh, it is a big football club and if, if somebody can come in and you know clear that debt and just settle that the ship a small bit you know you'd you'd hope to see them back in, in amongst the playoffs again in a few years as they were for a number of years before this um Cardiff who I mentioned earlier as well with Mc McCarthy in charge they kept themselves in in touch with the the top three so they're level with their QPR and but they've eight points um, and they got a 3-1 three, three win over millwall West Brom, another one of the teams up with, with Stoke and Fulham uh, on 10 points, 2-1 win over, over Blackburn and they're looking very good uh, with Flair de um at the head, West Brom are looking serious and I'm going to say now that I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Arsenal on Wednesday because I mentioned it earlier, they have confidence, Arsenal don't and it's, it's not something to be overlooked if you believe you can do it, you can do anything so wouldn't be surprised to see a shock like that um, Sheffield United Bang in trouble as well. Um, lost 2-1 to Huddersfield. So they've one draw 3 losses. in their opening 4 games in the championship. After just getting relegated. And you have to look at it and say. Why did they get rid of Chris Wilder? Every single person must be asking that question right now. After, when they got relegated. Back into the championship. He's gotten them promoted before. He got them back to back promotions. Why not stick with that man? You knew you were going down anyway. Keep him there. We believe in you. Let him bring you back up. I just thought a baffling decision at the time, and they're now, you know, reaping what they sowed. I have no sympathy for them at all because the board—that is not the fans—but they should never have gotten rid of of Wilder. He should have always stayed. He should have always had a chance to to continue the great work he had done. But they got too big for their boots because of the work that Wilder had done. Thought they were better than they were, and that's what left him in that position. And I just think it's extremely poor. Um, Fulham then again, as I said, are one of those teams at the top. They got a, a 2 0 win over Hull, who, despite their opening weekend win, have been going pretty much downhill since. Um, and then Bournemouth missed a massive chance to, to get up level with those boys on ten points. And uh, they were 2 0 up against Blackpool, and to to, to draw two-all against a recently promoted team like that. Um, that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be a a big a big loss. Um, for not big loss but a big blow to Scott Parker I think uh, but I do think that Bournemouth will get back on track and I, I really do like Scott Parker Um, I think he's he seems a really good uh, you know down to earth guy and I think he's been a solid manager and you know if he can get promoted with Bournemouth now again that'll be two teams he's one promotion with admittedly two teams who probably should be there thereabouts don't get me wrong but I, I, I'd like to see it Um, I do like the guy um and he does try to play football the right way so I'll always put um a bit of respect on that, um just looking there as well. Do you think any managers will be sacked before Christmas? I expect plenty to be sacked before Christmas. Um, I expect Chris Uton to be gone by Halloween. Um, for Forest, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I know Swansea won, but. Russell Martin, I think he's still going to be there. I don't even know who's managing Sheffield United at the moment, but I can tell you he's his head is close to the chopping board as well. <laughs> Being truthful, um, they'll probably end up bringing back Wilder now, and he'll demand twice the wages he was on. All these crazy things, but yeah So um, that's a quick roundup of the Championship. We're going to go into to Europe now. We're going to have a a little look at League One. Uh, the Friday night game was PSG, and PSG have been so strange this season. So so strange. So they stormed into a lead again and nearly threw it away again oh it's Yankovic is in charge yes Yakanovich that's how we pronounce it um I know the guy I know the guy um the ex Fulham manager um so yeah so PSG have had a habit this season they went behind the first game then they went ahead conceded goals went ahead conceded goals in the past um few weeks and they were 3-1 up with five minutes to go and then they conceded a goal in the 85th minute. Um, and honestly, Brest looked like the better team then. I was watching the the last few minutes and they were bombing forward. They were creating chances. They were unlucky not to score. Then they got caught on the counter and it was a, a fantastic finish from Di Maria in the end. But PSG just, I just think if they come up against a better team, they're not, they're not playing right. They're scoring goals and then they're switching off. And it's just so poor for for a team at that level to to do it. So, yeah, I, the thing is they're still winning though, so they're probably going to win the, the, the you know league on because no other team is consistently performing. Because Monaco lost again. There's we're talking about sackings in the championship. I think that uh, Kovac, uh, Niko Kovac, with uh, Monaco, he's definitely his head's close to the chopping board now. One point from three games, and they're also one nil down in the home leg after the home leg against uh, Schachter qualifying for the Champions League so if they miss out in Champions League they don't get not only do they not get Champions League football they don't get the money that comes with that so yeah I think that Niko Kovac he, he's walking on a, a tight rope at the moment Um, Lons however continued their unbeaten run um, they got their first wins they were doing pretty well Lille and giving one of the worst defences of a title that I've ever seen. They got a draw with St. Etienne, uh, conceded a goal in uh, the 85th minute and that puts them on two points from the opening three games, if my memory's right. And uh, Lyon are the same. These were like, these all teams that are... Like, Lille won the league. Monaco finished third. Lyon finished in European places. They, they're all doing terrible this year. Uh, Lyon looked like they were actually going to win a game um, against Clermont and then Clermont equalised in the 91st minute. And... It was horrendous. So Leon, my, I'm just my notes again. Uh, Leon joined Monaco and Lille as massively underperforming, and Lyon might see new teams in Europe if it keeps up, and that is a fact because, um, like Clermont has them in fourth with seven points. Ongers are up there as well, so it's you know it's it's mental what's um what, what's up what's what's happening in France all the teams they would expect to be there giving it a rattle are not but I think with all the football that we're talking about in League 1 it's probably the lack of football that, that, that stole the headline so South Coast Derby last night I was watching it I, I tipped Marseille before the, the start of the season as a team to watch in um in League 1 they will always lead to an exciting game I actually meant the football when i said that but that wasn't the case so to fill you in if you weren't there basically or if you didn't see it from kickoff straight away there was bottles being thrown onto the pitch um, and being thrown towards like mandanda and stuff like that when he was in goal in the first half all plastic bottles constantly been thrown onto the to the pitch okay and then it was 15 minutes to go one of them threw it down and hit Payette while he was taking a corner. And he picked up the bottle. And threw it back into the crowd. Which 100% was not the right thing to do. But it was happening all game. He eventually got hit one. He snapped. His temper went. And as soon as they did that. All hell broke loose. And the Nice Ultras broke through the barriers. And basically stormed the pitch. And it's well worth looking at the videos if you can. They're all over over Twitter and stuff. And then there was staff getting involved. There was kind of punch ups. There was people grabbing each other. There was, it, 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 there was all sorts happening. And... It was just, I felt that the whole, it was certainly avoidable, okay? Now, in the first weekend of the league 1 season, Montpellier were playing Marseille. Marseille were at the Montpellier. There was stuff being thrown onto the pitch, which seems to be a bit of a theme in French football. And the referee brought the players off the pitch. There was an announcement went out and said, if this continues, the game will be cancelled. They went back out, I think. Or he brought it to the side and that was said. Then they went back out. And then eventually they got brought in and the announcement came out. And they waited about 15 minutes. Um, the president of the club was out talking to the fans, everything. And eventually they um, they went out then to uh, to finish off the game. In this match, from the get-go, there was bottles being thrown. But the ref never brought the players in. In the first half, he should have done it. It could have been 10 minutes into the match. And he should have brought the players off the pitch. And said, we're worried about player safety here. We need an announcement to go out that if this continues, the match is going to be cancelled. Okay? Strike one. They go back out. If it happens, you bring them in. Strike two, Say One more bottle gets thrown. The match has been cancelled straight away. They go out. Bottle gets thrown. And it gets cancelled. Okay? That's how it should have been done. The ref didn't do his job in protecting the players. Because he let it go on. He let it escalate. It was like he was allowing it to happen. And then it got to the stage where it hit breaking point. And what happened is that got thrown. Piat reacted. The whole thing kicked off then. Now, the league uh, the lfp which is basically like the fa in in france said that the game was to uh, to go ahead because local police had said we're okay we've got this under control and um, the ref himself said he didn't want the match to to continue and marseille said we are not going back out onto the pitch which i cannot back them enough so what happened was that nice went out to take the corner or Nice went out to defend the corner that Marseille were to take. The referee went out with them, even though Marseille had said they're not going out, just so that they could come out and say the other team hasn't shown up. And technically by the league, that now means that it is a forfeit for Marseille because they refused to go out onto the play when the league said that the game should go ahead. Now, that will definitely be contested. And if it stands, it is an absolute farce because I 100% agree with Marseille that they shouldn't have gone out and I th- that the referee was right in saying that it wasn't safe for the players to go out but the referee I think throughout the whole process got it got it all wrong. Um I'm Kate, thank you very much for the follow as well. So harsh and strange, absolutely bizarre. I was wa- but I was watching it um live on TV and it's like watching a train crash. I just couldn't take my eyes off it uh, my fiance came down and she was looking at it and she's she is not a football fan at all and she couldn't stop watching it. like what is going on here you know it was absolute pandemonium so yeah it was it was absolutely bizarre um, as I said I think the referee was, was definitely to, to blame for a lot of it because it never should have reached the stage that it got to but it's one of those things that if you give somebody an inch they're going to take a mile and by not nipping it in the bud early on it allowed it to escalate and get to the stage that it that it did um which was absolutely mental um so now we're going to go on to the, the bundesliga so i um just before i actually started the st- stream properly i was mentioning leipzig uh they so they lost last week to mines they bounced back from that four 0 win on on friday night and dominic zaba's like got his his full debut and he was absolutely superb Um, his first goal was absolutely incredible what a hit it was if you haven't seen the highlights from the game do look them up. Um, his first goal was absolutely superb, and the second goal was a low cross that he put in from a cor- from a free kick, and he just floated it in, and it was one of those that if it gets a t- touch from anybody, it goes in. I mean, it got a touch from nobody, and it still went in. Um, so it was um, it was it was it was just something different. It was it was incredible altogether. And um, but yeah, he looks a, a really good player, and I know Arsenal were linked with him last year when he went to to Leipzig, and based on what I'd heard about him, I was kind of hoping we'd get him, but alas it wasn't the the case and we'll probably rue that one as we have many others and um, the shock then i think was dortmund over the weekend um i mean losing 2-1 to, to freiburg i thought it was ridiculous and um, the first freiburg girl was was an outstanding free kick there was there, there was no stopping that the second goal then i thought was just too easy the, the defending was was poor and um, bellingham got one back for for dortmund and if you look at the match stats dortmund created a lot of chances maybe not as clear cut as they would have wanted but to lose the game. I don't think it was on the balance of play maybe the the fair result, but after winning their first game so convincingly and looking so exciting to then lose the Super Cup and lose away at Freiburg, all the the momentum is gone. The complete, you know, the sting has gone out of that, that attack that they had built up from the, the first game and the fluidity of their football and everything. Now it's still early days in the season, I'm sure next weekend they could come back and get a win and everybody's delighted with life but it's definitely one of those things that you're saying, had they got another convincing win against Freiburg, which probably would have been expected, then all of a sudden you're going, well, they're up for it this season, especially with Leipzig having won so convincingly on the Friday night, so, um, it would have been, it, it was really what they needed, and then to make things worse for that, uh, Leverkusen went out and spanked uh, Gladbach four 0 in the in the late kickoff on Saturday, and Diaby got a goal and an assist for this one. Um, and no, his goal was it took a massive deflection, but I watched the highlights from last week. I thought he was Leverkusen's best player. Um, and got the goal goal for him last week in their draw. Thought he looked really really solid this week. Um, and he's one I think he's one to watch. Uh, Diaby with with Leverkusen. He's only twenty two years of age, I think. But yeah, um, definitely worth worth keeping an eye on. And last week against against Bayern Munich, it was uh Jan Sommer that basically kept Glad back in it. Um, Tony Jameson, thank you very much for the raid. Very much appreciated. Hope you had a good stream. And thank you for bringing all those lovely people over to to come have a have a listen to me ramble on. Um, I am currently. Um, spouting on about the Bundesliga, um, and I still have a league in Syria to go through, so we're uh, we're not finished just yet as we're we're going through um, the, the the leagues. We went through every Premier League fixture in detail. We've touched off the Championship and League One and the crazy scenes from last night, and just going through the the Bundesliga now. And uh, I was saying how Jan Sommer kept uh, Glad back in it last week against uh, Bayern Munich with some great saves, especially towards the end, and against. Uh, to, uh against uh, Leverkusen apologies on Saturday evening he had probably one of the, the worst games of his career Um it just nothing went right for him there was an own goal there was horror passes there was it was everything everything that he could have gone wrong most certainly did um so it was it was definitely a night to, to forget for him and uh Wolfsburg back-to-back wins as well um I think they're top of the league at the moment on, on six points after the opening two games so after finishing fourth last season and getting into the Champions League they're they're going for it again they don't look at any signs of of slowing up so that's good to see and because um, you want to see you don't want to see the same teams all the time you want to see other teams up there challenging and uh, Bayern won 3-2 um, they were 2-0 up and Cologne brought it back to, to 2-all so a fair play to them putting in a, a good bit of uh, you know showing a bit of determination and getting back into it but uh, yeah, Bayern's class showed at the end and uh, their, their their first goal actually was a fantastic assist from um, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong but Musila I think is how it's pronounced uh, to Lewandowski and um, Gnabry got the other two and his, his second goal was a, a bit of a rocket um, so yeah another player that I look at and go how did Arsenal let him go but then again Tony Pula said that he wasn't good enough to play for West Brom so stranger things have happened um, 100 million for Robert. There's, Lewandowski's never going to leave. Um, I, I, I still am convinced that that was made up by Sky Sports News to drive a betting market for Skybet. Um, I 100% do. Uh, Scooter, thank you very much for doing that shout out there. Um, I just... I don't think it makes sense for Lewandowski to leave. Um, And saying he wants a new challenge, fair enough. If he wants a new challenge, you know, it would be communicated. I just it made no sense and it was only sky sports that really broke it and i can guarantee i would love to see the the metrics on how many bets were placed on lewandowski leaving bayern munich and who he was going to join next after that announcement versus the two months before it, while the champ the, the transfer window has been open um and it's just they not that that's why i think it's so wrong that sky can have a news and betting company when it comes to sports but that's a different issue altogether that we won't uh, we won't get into so La Liga, the next league, we're going to have a, a quick look at. I, I watched the game on Friday night. Um, at the the Betis game, I, I I watched the. I was kind of between that and the championship. I started off watching the championship game, then at, at halftime switched over to to the Batiste match and watched that um out. And it, it was a pretty terrible game, if I'm being honest with you. It was, it was so boring. Apart from Sergio Canales, who was a joy to watch for, um, for Betis. Um, and I can remember when he was a youngster coming through Real Madrid, being like, this guy's going to be the next big thing. But he was an absolute joy to watch. But Pellegrini afterwards, I came out with a fantastic quote where he said, La Liga is the slowest league in Europe and the least amount of actual football. Um, basically referring to all of the diving. Um, that happens in La Liga and how people roll over and basically saying that there's less time of the ball actually on the pitch and I think that to be fair to the Premier League it's something they're looking to address this season with the, the new laws that they've looked to implement that let the game flow and don't blow up for the soft ones um, and that's why you're, you've are you got a league like that and the game against between Batiste and Cadiz it was stop-start and it was brutal. Um, the bits that, as I said, the amount that I saw of it. But that said, Canales is a joy to watch. So I, I did enjoy that. Uh, there was a good few draws then. Uh, Valencia came from behind the draw against Granada and Villarreal. Their second nil all draw, and um, that was against Espanyol. But on Saturday night, uh, nine o'clock, I did watch the um, Athletic Barca game and uh, the Bilbao Barca game, and that was an incredible watch for every everything that the the Betis game didn't have the Barca Athletic game did um and how it was only 1-1 is is mental um with the chances that were created throughout the game and Anaki Williams up front for Athletic was an absolute joy to watch an absolute joy he terrorized the Barca defense and for 70 plus minutes Athletic were by far the best team uh, with the chances that they created, there was Munyain, Williams. They were all superb um, in, in in what they did. They were absolutely fantastic. And then all of a sudden, um, Memphis got the ball and absolutely smacked one into the roof of the net. But from the seventeenth minute onwards, they started to flag. They, their intensity was high and the energy levels were were draining a bit. But then towards the the very end, Anaki's brother Nico Williams was was through on goal and. It was just about it was a bit outside the box and eric garcia blatantly bang pulled him back straight red card there was no question it was 100 a, a red card but it was the definition of taking one for the team absolute definition of taking one for the team but i tell you what I, it i'm going to be watching a lot more Bilbao this season when i get the chance on the back of it and uh, just looking in the chat there, Jordan saying that Bilbao was impressed. They have that unique rule, which and that's so true. The fact that they only sign players from the Basque region and to be that competitive is incredible. But I think there's a lot of loyalty as well. They still have an Martinez as centre half. I'm sure they could he could have moved on at some stage in his career. Nico Anaki uh, Williams, 100%. Ico Munyain, all these guys are still there, and uh, so there's a, there's a tremendous loyalty within the team itself, uh, within the the players from that region and, and sticking to it um but yeah it was um it was an incredible watch it was it was one of the best games i watched this weekend it was it was really enjoyable um sacerdad then got a win against uh, Real ray that was an Ayarazabal yeah, penalty um atletico madrid were playing yesterday and they got a, a 1-0 win against el chain it was just typical madrid where they shut out the game they got the one goal um it was angel correa got the goal um so he's now scored every goal for atletico this season all three of them and um yeah, he's so he's the only person to, to score for them. But the assist from uh, Depaul, the new signing, was was really good. The finish was very nice actually as well from Korea, To be fair, um, it was it, w- it was really good. Um, then there was the Madrid game last night, which I'm sickened I didn't watch because I was watching the the Marseille and uh, the Nice game, and by the time I came to uh, that game and that drama finishing up, um, I didn't switch over to the Madrid game. I just chilled out. And I really wish I did. Um, It was an absolute cracker. So, basically, Madrid went 1-0 up. Then it went 1-all. They went 2 nil up, I think. It went 2-all. And then um, it was 3-2 to Levante. Um, And Vinicius Junior got Real Madrid the equaliser at the end. And it finished up 3-all. And Vinicius Junior looked, Jr. looked absolutely fantastic. Um, he got two goals from himself. Bagged himself a brace. And... This year really looks like his year. I mentioned earlier with Mason Greenwood that this is his year to to shine on. I think the same with Junior, Vinicius Jr. And I think that with the age of Hazard and Bale, you'll be looking that he should be coming in saying, No, I'm I'm going taking your spots. Um and, and, and really going for it and giving Ancelotti a headache on that. But I think Ancelotti has a loyalty to to Bale, maybe from from previous times. But um, I think Vinicius is gonna is very much gonna push for that. And then earlier this evening, Sevilla got a win, so they're now they're now top of the league. Um, after keeping another clean sheet, so two clean sheets back to back, four goals scored helped massively last week by um Zidane being sent off for Rayo Vallecano. But still, back to back wins, they don't mind. They're absolutely delighted with life. And then the the last league we're gonna we're gonna look at before we before we wrap things up was first weekend of Serie a, the season. And I didn't watch too much of it. I watched the start of the Inter game. Um, I kind of watched bits of the Roma match, and I went back over the highlights earlier, just kind of preparing for this. But s- the quality was superb across a lot of the games, and I genuinely think Syria could be. I I would be certainly putting Syria ahead of La Liga in the in the rankings. Um, I've been loving league on, and um, this season I haven't watched as much of the Bundesliga as I would have liked to, but I think that if I have the choice Serie A is probably going to be the second choice league after the Premier League that I watched this year um, based on what I saw so I'll leave that out as my my tip on uh, I suppose what I would be be saying this season what I'd be recommending but Inter kicked off the season at half five on Saturday um, I, I watched the the first half of that game and it was a comfortable 4-0 win Um, Calangalu got a debut goal after making the switch from Milan and the uh, Dzeko got a goal in his debut as well. The Kalhanglu goal was outstanding. He absolutely just whipped it round from outside the box. It was a lovely goal. Um, But the probably the moment of the match from the, the highlights that I saw, because I, I didn't watch the second half, was uh, the assist from Barella to, to Vidal, which was a lovely flick. And it was just the awareness that Vidal was there and the ability to do it. It was... It, it was very nice to watch very nice to watch and um, then Lazio with Maurizio um, Sarri now in charge of them they got off to uh, a winning start they went 1-0 down to Empoli and came back and won 3-1 and I think all the goals came in the first half um, if my memory is right because I was watching the Atlanta game and I saw on um, footmob that all the goals had gone in there and I was like well I have picked the wrong one but that said, um, there was an early goal for for Atlanta from Lewis Muriel, and it was a fantastic hit, and they ended up winning it in the ninth third minute, right at the right at the death. Um, so Atlanta scoring goals, that's what they do. Um, they look to to keep that up this season. Um, Udinese came from from two 0 down to draw two all with Juventus. That was incredible. Um, for Juventus to to not see that out after being two 0 up, especially with with an Allegri team. Um, you know the. That's what he does. He wins games. He knows how to win games. And uh, it was a bit of a shock. The first goal was uh, was superb from um, Paolo ball. It was a great finish. Quadrados got the second goal. And the defending was, was horrific. Um, he was just allowed to waltz into the box and get a shot away. Um, but then the two goals that were conceded. The first one, Shezdi, spilt the shot. Brought the man down then. And they scored the penalty. And the second one, he gave the ball away inside the box. Trying to be fancy on it. It was, it was brutal. So... There's no deny, no doubting in my mind that Chesney was to, at fault for for that draw happening. But they thought they won it late on, um, with um with Ronaldo getting a header and it was disallowed for, uh, it was through VAR for being offside, so it was a bit of drama in that as well. Um, Jose Mourinho then got off to a winning start with Roma. They got a three-one win in which Tammy Abraham got himself a couple of, of assists, um, so he did quite well. I think Mkhitaryan got one of them. Um, I was it Pellegrini got the other? I think um I can't remember who got the third or well, Pellegrini got the third I can't remember who got the second I should say um but yeah um Abraham looks very good and it was you know they were both down to 10 men Fiorentina got a their keeper sent off early on um uh, Dragovic not Dragovic Dra- Dragowski I think is how it's pronounced and um, Polish goalkeeper and Zaniolo then on his first game in I don't know how long got sent off for Roma for for the second booking and Napoli won their game then as well 2-0 um Ashimeng got sent off um, early on. They still won two 0 and missed a penalty. Insinia missed a penalty and then they got a second one, and he decided to score that as well. Um, so that was um, that was decent. And AC Milan then were, were earlier. They won one nil. They got a first half goal through Brahim Diaz, um, which saw them win their first game. So football is well and truly back now because Syria has joined in with everything. And that's just a quick roundup of the the other leagues around europe so i just want to say thank you very much to everybody who joined and i hope to see you on the next one best of luck just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who joined me today live on twitch during the recording to those listening to this podcast later don't forget to follow me on twitch at twitch.tv slash where you can get involved in the live chat during recording and also on twitter at into underscore row underscore z thanks again for listening and i'll see you on the next one slange fall